Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the Big Apple in New York City, welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at CaregiverDave.com, along with my lovely co-host, Adrian Guberg at thecaregiverspace.org, who is due to join us very, very shortly. And uh, we are coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks. We are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast on the top 50 on Player FM and number three on Feedspot out of thousands. And we especially have an exciting show planned for you today. And it's Karen Warner, The Sudden Caregiver, a Roadmap for Resilient Caregiving. But before we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Dr. Michael Glenn. And the show is entitled, If I Knew I Was Going to Live This Long, I Would Have Taken Better Care of Myself. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other 25 global networks that I mentioned earlier, iHeartRadio, iTunes, etc. Okay, enough of that. Karen Warner Schuler became a sudden caregiver when her late husband, Joel Kurtzman, was diagnosed out of the blue with stage 4 cancer. Now, in her book, Sudden Caregiver, A Roadmap for Resilient Caregiving, she draws upon her own experience and experience of other caregivers and research from the field of positive psychology to offer the informal, unpaid, sudden caregiver a roadmap, a path to resilient, and a rational approach to planning what is essentially unplannable. You can say that again. And Karen, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you on. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. Um, thank you also for the work you do. Well, thank you for the work you do. So there. <laughs> so we like to ask our guests, um, who is Karen Warner Schuler, and why was she put on this earth? That's your question. Why was I put on this earth? Well, yeah. I would say I was put on this earth to be a professional problem solver. I think that that my skills at solving problems um well preceded my my work and my life as a caregiver but when i became a caregiver suddenly uh, when my husband was diagnosed with cancer i realized that two things that i do really well were the most important things i could do the first is i until cancer i feel like i never met a problem i couldn't solve and um, but I tried as a caregiver. That was my mission in life. And um, the second thing is to really be able to take experiences that I've had and share them with others. And I'm an executive coach. That's what I do for a living. So those two things. And then I ended up right before um, becoming a caregiver. I happened to get a degree in positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. So honestly, saw everything about caregiving through that lens that as you say the um ability to thrive and not merely survive as a caregiver 
Wow, well said. So uh, let me formally introduce you to Adrian Gruberg from uh, New York, and this is Karen. Hi. Hi, Adrian. Hi, where are you? Pardon? What where part of the country located? are you from? I am in South Carolina, right on the coast, oh, between okay. Charleston and Savannah. How's the weather down there in South Carolina we, today? We're having a good, nice, warm day today, for sure. Yeah. Oh, good. So... um we we like to we got some questions we want to ask you and um, I just wanted to know uh, you are an author right tell that us a little correct. bit about your book why did you write your book what goals do you have for it and what do you hope to be accomplished by it uh, I wrote my book The Sudden Caregiver first of all because when I was a caregiver and I'd never heard of Caregiver Dave I <laughs> was put in a position of I've got to make this thing up by myself. But since I had just gotten a degree in psychology, positive psychology, I thought I'll do some research. I'm like a perpetual student. And in doing the research, all I found were negative things about how difficult caregiving is. There's no absence of research that supports that. What I was looking for was a roadmap and I couldn't find it. And I, but I found a lot of good information on caregiving. But what I found also was when I started talking to caregivers and when I compared my own experience to the research, there's a real positive angle. There's a real positive way or approach to caregiving, which I call the caregiver paradox. So I decided to put this book together and it really has three parts. The first is how to be a caregiver. That is how to build a practice of resilience. And there's something in the book, I have a map, I'm big on maps, called Pathways to, <laughs> Pathways to Wellbeing, and it's six things. So you can literally kind of go through the pathways and build your resilience. And I also believe that resilience is a practice, like leadership or going to the gym or music. You have to do it in order to become good at it. And it's really easy as a caregiver to get run over by the negative side of things and not feel like building a practice of resilience. So that was one thing. And then the second part is what to do as a caregiver. And I created a roadmap that um, has two dimensions. One is caregiving takes place in phases over time, which was when I read that in some research, it was just hallelujah because I was in crisis we were in crisis, my husband and I, and I thought we're just going to go from crisis to crisis to crisis. And so, um, but in fact, the roadmap is crisis as normal as possible, resolution and evolution out of caregiving. So the second part is what do you do? And there's a list of things. And then the third part after all of that is uh, how do you evolve away from the caregiving role? And that's the last part. So my roadmap spells C-A-R-E, easy to remember which phase you're in. Wow, that's very clever. Um, so I'm so sorry to hear that your husband died in 2016. Uh, Thank you. Tell us about him. Uh, honor him right now and uh, tell us the story. Okay, I have my Kleenex here. Um, <laughs> and, we, and we have ours. <laughs> we have ours, yes. Um, my late husband, Joel Kurtzman, was, I would say, when we were 
we were together, it was, he was the big planet and I was the little planet. That is, he had a big footprint in the world. He published 20 business books. He founded two seminal business publications. They're still, you know, they're still going strong. Uh, he was an editor at Harvard Business Review. He was an editor at the New York Times. He worked for the UN. So he really was someone, he would have an idea and then say, how can I impact the world with this idea? Right. And literally to have an idea at breakfast and nine months later, we were holding it, it was a book. It took me four years to write my book. He would just, wow. but he was that guy. And he was also, um, and I talk about him a little in my book, he had, he had a plan for all of us. He had a strategy for us. He wanted us to bring our A game. And to do that, he wanted to figure out what it is. And when I say us, it's myself, uh, our daughter, and our son. And he just, each of us had a different plan in life, and he was there to make sure that plan happened. So he was shelter in a lot of ways to all of us and an, an enabler, I guess, oh, a door opener. So, so he was supportive about your book? Well, he wasn't alive when I started writing my book, but I, oh. I did talk to but him. But you talked about it, didn't you? Yes, I talked to him about my book and said, we really need to do this. And, you yeah. know, and he was, well, the, the thing that to know, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of caregivers, is he did not ever talk about dying. We probably, over the course of 18 months from diagnosis to his passing, we probably talked about his death like twice. And there are people who find out they're dying and blog about it and embrace it, but that was not my late husband. And so everything about positive psychology and all everything we did was to have a growth mindset to be, to have a, a way of like, what's the next thing? What What's the next treatment we can seek? What clinical trial have we not heard about that we need to find out about? And that was, to a large part, that was my life as a caregiver is, generatively finding what's the next thing. And and the idea was to um, move from one treatment to another to another, as cancer in, in particular was getting so much attention in terms of research that we thought we could get, you know, we could get as far as we could on this. So, so we didn't discuss it a lot except in terms of how can we beat it. Yeah. Um... Stage four cancer. What? Uh, where was it, and um, what was the process? I mean, did he go visit his doctor once a year? I mean, how did that happen? You know, the irony is that he was almost to a fault. Uh, uh, he was health concerned. He got checkups. He had. He didn't just have a doctor. He had a concierge, a medical concierge <laughs> outfit. We lived in L.A. Adrian, you're in you're in Los Angeles, or, or you're in Los Angeles. I'm in LA. Yeah, She's in, in New LA. York. I'm in New yeah. York. We were in we got Santa the country Monica. covered. <laughs> and so, um, so we, so um, we would he would get checkups. He was he ate, he took supplements every day. He worked out six days a week. But what ended up happening for us? Hmm. I could yeah. relate. Yeah. <laughs> He was, so what ended up happening was um, he just, we went, 
this is in 2014, the beginning of the summer, we went to Rome for really the first vacation we had, like our kids were launched and they were great. And we just had a great time. It was the best vacation because we felt carefree. We felt like we're finally getting to enjoy life. This is before he was diagnosed? He was not diagnosed. What year was this, by the way? 2014. Okay. Yeah, in June. And so we were in Rome. There was no sign of cancer. There was nothing at all. And I look back on that and say, because he had to have had it stage four. He was diagnosed by the end of the summer, the, the end of the beginning, end of no, September. No symptoms, no nothing. No. What began to happen is over the course of the summer, he was he started to complain about a bad back, and. I have had a bad back, you know, I've, I've, and I was just saying, you know, it doesn't seem like a regular bad back. It's not getting any better. It's not yielding to treatment. He was seeing his doctor. Nothing seemed to be happening. And, and what it, it seemed to be getting worse. I, I think I shared my, our daughter was getting married um, in the middle of October and we were very focused on the wedding and all the things that had to be do, done with that. But one morning, it became the only thing we talked about at the first thing in the morning. We always had like a stack of papers and coffee and breakfast and talked about the day and the news of the world. And um, he just said, I'm in so much pain. And I said, stay right here. I'm running upstairs. I'm going to throw my jeans on. We're going to the, the hospital. We're going to get an MRI because I was thinking it's bad back. And he uh, came downstairs. He was already at his desk waving me on the day and he's, his day was underway. So he didn't get it imaged. And then um, I was traveling for business at the end. Here's the sudden part, the end of September. And I'm a coach. So I often do leadership facilitation on site with my clients. And I was in Philadelphia doing that. And he called me and he said, I'm in so much pain. And I have to admit, I was just like, we've been talking about this. I'm in a class. And so he said, uh, so I, uh, he called a friend, our best friend, Glenn, and Glenn came over and they went to the hospital together. And then he called me at two o'clock in the morning. I had gone to bed like, waiting to hear. And um, it sounded like it was just going to be routine stuff. And he called me and he said, I have stage four cancer. So that's. Of uh, stage four cancer and where? Oh, sorry. Um, so it it started in his back, but it was actually had spread to his spine from his lungs. From but his lungs. So it, his was lungs. it meta- so it was metastasizing already. Yeah, that's stage four, right? It's moved. It was in his liver and his lungs, and this is the important question. Question I always answer: He was not a smoker. He was like the complete opposite end of the spectrum from that. So there's some speculation it was environmental, but at some point you give up asking how you got it and just go. Yeah, you have to. It's just a reminder that every day is a gift from God. Thank God that you were able to go to Rome. What memories you must have. I know. The whole family. That's a gift. Wow. Uh, yeah. just, we don't know why bad things happen to good people. No. Yeah, my, hus- my, hus- my husband had stage four lung cancer, too. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. So, that, He's been gone. I, I can relate. Now? 
Oh, yeah. yeah. He's 10 years in March. Ten wow. Years. Does it get any easier, Adrian? Different. Different. Yeah. Adrian Different. is dating, dating now. I, I bet you never thought you would be dating, ever? <laughs> oh, yes, I did. My my late husband told me I'd better. <laughs> That's right, and he gave you a list and he gave you a list of who not to date. Right? Not to go out. With. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's he funny. did. But and he then on the other side of the other side of the token, my grandmother, you know, um, she married when she was fourteen from the Middle East to my grandfather who was thirty. And uh, when he died at 65, so what, she was uh, she was young, uh, in her 40s, and uh, she never remarried. She says, that's the only man in my life. So, you know, each one wow. does what they feel called to do, and uh, there should be no judge, judging. A lot of times it's the kids that judge, you know. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, your book, you titled it, let's talk about the title, The Sudden Caregiver, obviously, I mean, um, I certainly was a sudden caregiver, and you know it's unexpected. It's not on my resume, but it's a great title. Uh, how'd you come up with that, other than the obvious reasons? Um, I think it was being married to my husband, who he is, because he's very he he wrote a lot of books that he named perfectly. But oh, he's the author in the family, huh? Yeah. Oh, he is the writer in the family. He wrote. He published twenty books, and he you know from. Uh, all books around the global economy or um, how, uh, you know, Optimism wow. About America. He wrote a book called The Second American Century. He wrote a book called um, wow. The Global Edge. He was, he really How many all together? It's prolific. Yeah. He, um, 20, for sure. Whoa. He wrote a book. His, his big famous book in the beginning was called The Death of Money, where he called, oh, I he called that. it. Yeah, he called. He advertised and, that a lot on the internet. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. So and and then he published when he was still and he went to Berkeley when he was still an undergrad. He published two books of fiction. So he was he's, that guy. He's kind of famous. He's very able. So you and him <laughs> spoke about your book. Did he give you a a title suggestion? He didn't really. I think it just felt to me like. Honestly, if someone, if I were walking through, and I'm a big Barnes and Noble, I like pre-COVID, wander through Barnes and Noble as a hobby. But um, if I were seeing a book like this, if I were a caregiver looking for a book, which is what I was, and I saw this laying on the table, I would totally buy it. I wouldn't even read the first sentence. I would just go, "This seems to be written for me." Um, but he did know. He did think that whole problem-solving aspect that I started with. He did think that would be, a, I would be able to put a book together that would problem-solve for people, not just talk about my experience. Well, he was certainly right about the death of money. <laughs> <laughs> so, listen, yes. we're going to take a break. We'll be right back, so don't go away. Okay, thank you. Dave Nassani, The Caregiver's Caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through. 
because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show. I am Dave Nassani. I have our lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg, and Karen Warner. Do you prefer the all three names? Well, <laughs> Karen Warner Schuler. We were talking about marriage, and um, and I am blessed to, to be able to say I never thought I would marry after my husband passed away. But oh, I didn't know. I remarried a man named John Schuler. So well, I, good I, for I, you. Yeah, thank you. And um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Your husband would approve. You're. Oh my gosh! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my yeah, wife and were... I kid about that too. I just says, you know, so if anything were to happen, is there anyone that you would like me to marry? And uh, she <laughs> just gives me this dirty look. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought I would never remarry, and I, I was in the first, in the beginning. It was, I was too grief stricken, I would say. I really sure. just didn't know what to do with my life. I just moved to our house in South Carolina. My, we had a house in Boston and we bought this house so that um, we could watch the sunsets. And I thought, oh. my husband thought he would retire here. And, but my sister lives here, which is how I ended up here. And so here I am with just holding it all together and, took a little job in the economic development in town so that I could just have my own roots here and, and start making friends. Um, but I was not at all in, in any way even thinking about marriage. But I went on a, we have, a hur we have hurricanes here in South Carolina and I had sure. to evacuate. <laughs> I had to evacuate and I had to go somewhere north. So I got in my car and I went North and I had just started coaching again. My I was an executive coach and had given that up while I was caring for my husband. I was just trying to do it again. And I went to Gettysburg and um, wanted to sit outside on the sidewalk and read a book at the Gettysburg Hotel where I was staying. No seats. So I went and sat at the bar and this gentleman came in and sat down and after maybe 45, I was reading a book. And when I put the book down to do something and he asked me a question and we became best friends, literally, you know, that was wow. just never met anyone like him. And he's from Chicago and I was living in South Carolina and somehow here we are. So during COVID, we were going to get married in Gettysburg, but COVID had other plans. So we ended wow. up. Um, with my sister and her husband and my nephew and uh, Bishop and getting married in my backyard. So um, anybody else there by Zoom? Uh, and 64 of our closest friends and relatives <laughs> by Zoom. Yes. 
Yeah. Yes. And honestly, yes. it was nice. Uh, people it was were, nice. Yeah. People were saying it was so intimate and because we were all together. So it was, it was cool. So he, so he picked you up in a bar. He, I, yeah. I tried, to say, <laughs> I tried to say, well, we met on the battlefield in Gettysburg. We ended up touring the battlefields the next day. And um, so how long was your courtship? Uh, say well we got well two and a half years before we got married he proposed um a year ago i had to go to i was asked to speak in australia at the positive the international psychology yeah never been was amazing (laughs) and so he came as you know we were gonna tour sydney after my conference was over and he had a ring in his pocket the whole time. So one night after oh. dinner, he pulled a ring out, got down on his knee. Wow. Was like, what are you doing? Yeah, it was really, really <laughs> So what was the title of this book that, that started this whole thing? Uh, the Sudden Caregiver, is that what we're talking about? It was your, yes. uh, no, I'm talking about the book that you were reading at, uh, oh. at Gettysburg. Oh, at Gettysburg oh. And you sat down and he looked it, at it. It's, I wish I remembered that it's, um, <laughs> It was a book you on Gettysburg. Oh, wow. It was about okay. Gettysburg. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It wasn't a tour book, but it was a essay on Gettysburg. No, you should find out okay. uh, because if that was a different title, it maybe never would have happened. Right. Not you know? have happened. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no. <laughs> it it sounds like love at first sight to me. So, um, and you're young. True. You deserve. Uh, you know. A full life. Many, many caregivers who are no longer caregivers struggle, don't they, Adrian? They struggle with many guilt. caregivers struggle. struggle. A lot of them feel guilty. I waited until I, I I knew that I'd have a life after caregiving, but I waited until it felt right. And uh, after about two and a half years, it felt right. Mm-hmm. I got back in the game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, my you know, sister I... also. That happened to her. She just lost her husband, and uh, it was rather quickly. So she didn't. She wasn't a caregiver for a long time. I mean, it literally happened in days. But she mm. mourned for a couple of years, and 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 then well, she just she found someone. I had the time. I had the time to um, pre grieve. Mm. So <laughs> yeah. That did yeah. add something to it. I think, Adrian, that is a really amazing point that nobody talks about. Like, I, you're in a caregiver situation where your life is immediately changed forever, and it will never change back. And um, and even if we got remission and the cure right. that we were seeking, it was still never going to be that carefree time. Uh, and I think that there is some research that says that there is such a thing as pre-grieving and that there is did, no timeline. No, did you um, did you have this feeling of it hanging over your head as this is the way my life is going? And did your husband have it too or was he a little looser about it? Do you mean while we were caregiving, while he was while you were caregiving and he was the patient? Yeah. My feeling was we're in this, 
and we're in a thing. And uh -huh. because of my roadmap, there's four phases, but the when we got out of crisis, we got into a phase that I call as normal as possible. It's that right. quality of life phase. So as normal as possible means as possible. It was by no means normal for us, what we used to do and be, but it was accepting and kind of leaning into the changes that took place in our lives. So it wasn't, you know, and I, I talk about this because I think this is a really important thing for caregivers to realize. We had moments of joy, we celebrated, sure. we, we did things together. I mean, the day that we could finally go to dinner and a movie was like, like we were taking a trip to the moon or something. <laughs> you know, we get to do this. But, um, but I do think that caregivers, and, th and this is a lot of what, when I have that first part of my book, which is about how to be as a caregiver, to build yes. that resilience, you can talk to caregivers who say, I'm really, I'm, you know, I have such positive relations with my parent who I'm taking care of. And I, he never talked to me before. I never knew what his experience mm. in the war mm -hmm. was or more intimate. Like I felt like my husband and I were drawn together much more closely because we weren't, we were solving the same problem together and we had each other's backs. Me as we, well. Yeah. Right. And it's, so yep. we were really, it was sort of like, we don't, the cancer made us realize what a great life we had together, yep. how, how good we were together. And then, um, so as normal as possible, it just goes on. The goal is for as long as possible. And then there's a bit of a downturn. For me, you may be the same. I didn't recognize the downturns. I didn't, I saw them like out of the side of my, you know, eye, but I wasn't really going, oh, right. this is it. I was just, and I, and I think it, I, you know, to be fair to me, I just thought it was, was just a phase and we'd come back out of it. But right. um, yeah, so. Well, it's better to be optimistic. <laughs> uh, that's in my book. It, it actually is research that says it is better to be optimistic. <laughs> One of the things I did as I wrote my book was I did check in with the research on the positive psychology side of things to make sure I was saying something I, even though I believe it, I wanted to make sure it was true. And sure, proven. sure. And so there's a lot of evidence. So my book actually, without, I hope, being an obtrusive, I have 216 references of things where you can go and study. You know, at the back of the book, it's just notes and sources. But mm. if there's a concept you're interested in, you can go and pursue that. Like gratitude is a big concept that people, um, that, that, has been found to really impact the quality of your day, day yes. to day. Yeah. Um, you know, so Joel, uh, what's his name? Not not your husband, Joel Kurtzman, but someone else wrote uh, a book with the same title, The Death of Money. That has nothing to do with your book, right? That was James Rickard. Yeah, he's, no. he's selling it right now. So you, your husband actually started writing about it years ago, right? Yes, uh, in the nineties, wow. I think that was his. Yeah. Yeah, very prophetic. He saw it coming before anybody else did. <laughs> um, yeah. So you have this this ministry, I guess, to caregivers, and they read your book and they can relate. Well, I'm a sudden sudden caregiver too, and 
and they reach out to you, uh, what do you tell them? How do you help them? Um, well, it, yeah, I am on a mission to reach every single caregiver I can. So we have 53 million caregivers here in the U.S. That's the latest number from AARP. You know this. Uh, it's it's higher, by the way. Oh, no <laughs> It kidding. is higher. <laughs> but 11 to 13% of the populations of the developed countries. So there's a lot of emphasis on caregiving in the world. And one thing we know is caregivers go it alone. That's, you know, over half just, and I, I would too. Um, and so the three things that I say to caregivers right away, the first is get organized. It's very prosaic. It's very practical and pragmatic, but I didn't know where my financial documents were. I didn't know where, where our wills were like, you know, decades old. And there were things that I, and all of a sudden I'm in a life and death situation. Like we leveled out, but I was driving to the hospital, to the emergency room one night and, and he had a fever that had spiked and I was going, I don't know where my stuff is. I don't know what happens. What are the wishes of this person? Like I'd had nothing. I didn't know where the paperwork was. So the first thing is get organized. And I'm really, I got a binder. I was so afraid because I'm not a naturally organized person. I was so afraid that I would lose a very important piece of paper or a document Mm -hmm. or a receipt. So when I went to pick up the meds the first time I went, I was at CVS and, um, and I saw a binder, like a kid's section, you know, where they were selling binders and things because it was the fall back to school supplies and I bought a binder and some tabs and a little um, pouch that I could put people's business cards in and I, uh-huh. I set up this little system and that became our Bible for for what we were, um, what, uh, like everything, every <laughs> piece of paper, every change in meds, it all went into that. I have so many binders. <laughs> 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 and I have a closet full of binders that are and now empty that had yeah. all of the details of yeah. of every phase of the treatment and I loved it cuz you could just grab it and take it. Now I take I would take pictures. I used to take pictures of his meds on my phone because you get to the emergency room they go what of is course. he doing? Right? And so I would just go and I might remember the name but they were also scientific and but i wouldn't remember the dosage so i would just open my ah. and go, here here they are um and they change so frequently also now what <laughs> you know like, we just got this regimen <laughs> yeah, just down. when you memorized them and yeah. did you become responsible for managing his meds yeah yeah until hospice arrived yeah okay well he in the beginning i i think this is in the book but he um he did it himself Okay. And I bought one of those big, you know, things with the plastic things to organize. Right. So because the right. his schedule was so complex. Like there were the breakfast things and the lunch things and the dinner things and bedtime. And I set it all up and he took he had would have none of it. He made me put it all the meds away. He put the thing, he actually threw it in the trash. I fished it out and saved it and it <laughs> came in handy yeah. later. But every day he would open the jar, take the med, open the jar, close the jar, just himself. And right. that was really important. That was one of those things. It was really important for him to do. It was very... Yes, the self-sufficiency. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not a sick person, and he wasn't. So uh, once we got the, the pain under control. So 
but there was a time when it felt, to answer your question, it felt more dangerous for him to be doing it himself. Mm. Um, and when I stepped in, it wasn't an argument. It was just a, I, I saved this thing out of the trash, and <laughs> now that was okay. So, you know, 30% of caregivers roughly die out of the stress. So after you get organized uh, and they're heading toward burnout, what, what other tips would you give them to uh, avoid? Thank you. I forgot or... that I had two more. <laughs> I have well, six things in my pathway to resilience. But the, the, after you get organized, the second thing I would say is start a gratitude journal. It doesn't have to be fancy. You can do it on your phone. You can go and go buy a beautiful book and keep. But the idea of gratitude journal, it's a, the person who's researched most famously for this is a Dr. Robert Emmons. I think he's at UC Davis. He's in one of the California schools. And um, he says that you will find over the course of your day something no matter how small it is, to be grateful for. And usually my recommendation is try to find three things, things or people that you're grateful for over the course of your day. So climb into bed, what happened today that I can look at as a good thing, even though a lot of the days are, they suck, they're not good, nothing good <laughs> happened. You can find something, even if this person in Starbucks was kind to me and let me get in line in front of them or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's um, the idea is to find something to be grateful for that you didn't have to do anything to earn. So it's an unearned benefit is kind of the mm -hmm. thing. So three things yeah. to be grateful for. The second thing is um, what I alluded to earlier is that sort of caregivers go it alone. And there's sometimes, sometimes we're accused of, having a self-sufficiency streak, like I can just do it better than anyone else. Right. But I don't really think it's that. I think it has a combination of what are you allowed to share outside the, what I call the circle of agency. So you have a circle of agency. My husband was on one side, I was on the other. In the beginning, it's 50-50, but over time, it shifts as I take on more, as the caregiver takes on more, and the care receiver can't take on as much or they just let go and stop fighting it. But mm -hmm. um, but in the circle of agency, your communication is, what do we tell other people? And how far out from the center do we go? And so, um, so I felt like for me, it was easier for me to just keep my own counsel with my husband. And we were also very in it together. But I did realize that there are things, that's a trap, right? You, you're you just going to get on a little hamster wheel and it's just going to go faster and faster and you can't keep up. So I recommend identifying now the things, I call it creating a care leading squad, like a cheerleading squad. What are the things now that you, the tasks that you're not good at or you know you don't want to do and who who loves you around you can step in and do that with you. So um, an example for me is I do not know my way around a toolbox and my husband was not going to be able to fix things around the house anymore. And so we had a friend named Nick who was close by, he drove by our house going to and from work and I lined him up as my handyman and mm -hmm. I'm not good at, 
I don't, I'm good. I'm okay at numbers, but I don't want to do like balancing the checkbook and, um, <laughs> who does? <laughs> yeah. I'm laughing because right my, up there with root canals. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, in dealing with the insurance company. But I have a friend, Richard, who does. He was my numbers guy. So I identified the tasks and then I picked people who I knew would show up for me, even though I didn't need them right now. And the only, only criteria and filter is they, whoever you invite has to be someone who you trust literally with seeing your dirty laundry because they will. And you don't have to edit yourself. You're not doing them a favor. It's completely, this person will show up for me and do for me just because I've asked them to. And so uh, if you can do that and you can surround yourself with those people, that's your squad. And those people, for me, were a godsend. Just like I can't thank them enough. And I, I do thank them all in the acknowledgments of my book. <laughs> and you hold that up again? <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> it backwards, it might be back. Yeah. Very good. So, listen, yes. we're going to take a break. We'll be right back, so don't go away. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave show. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships, is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her 5 and 10 year old daughters Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next 20 years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Dove Award recipient, the godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch? Charlene just won't let the promises of God go, and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor, she's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave show. And so why is, there's a lot of caregiver books out there, Karen, you know that. Uh, why is your book uh, different and special? Well, until I encountered your books, I found that a lot of the caregiving books out there were not about, they might be about a personal experience and then lessons extrapolated. But for me, what I was looking for is, what are the practical things I need to do so that I can get ahead of them so I don't get surprised? 
Uh-huh. What are the what do I do with the all the relationships around me, some of whom are care leading squad material and some of whom aren't. And I, for me, that was a very difficult thing to navigate. Uh, what about integrative therapies like um, acupuncture? Should we be changing our diet? Should we be seeing an acupuncturist? Yeah. The medical community, it's not their job to advise on that. Um, right. What are the social systems that can help us? So. What my book, literally, I decided that I needed to put a checklist like that together for other people. So I feel like the three things that are in there that are the roadmaps are the pathways to well-being, which draws upon positive psychology. The roadmap, which is mine, I created that based on research. And then the prism, which I just went through. So what are the practical, relational, integrative, social systems and mindful things that which and and one of the things that I think you do really well Dave is um how do you take care of yourself like putting it's putting on the yeah and that self-compassion that goes along with that oh of course so this is your first book um did you come up with any tips or things that you would suggest because there's a lot of caregivers out there who are in your shoes and and they're thinking you know i have a lot of information maybe i should write a book uh what advice would you give them what struggles did you have writing your book um the first thing i would say is i had that voice in my head that said who are you who are you to write a book my late husband was (laughs) yeah like my late husband was a prolific he was the right he was the person who put the books out yeah that's intimidating isn't it it's pretty intimidating uh and then after that once i got over that and i got over that because i applied for a grant from the university of pennsylvania from my alumni association and i got it i got it and so then i thought well this is more this is bigger than me i have to now do something these people gave me money bigger than me writing at my kitchen counter with my dog and her bone at my feet (laughs) as a sad widow so uh so that helped me that gave me a a encouragement and then the second thing was um i went to a writing conference at harvard and uh they this particular conference they have literary agents who come and they they sit in the back of the room and you can talk to them and I got in line and I started talking to this agent and she just sort of her first question was, well, how many contacts do you have on social media? So nothing about I didn't even talk about the book or anything. And I said, oh, you know, my God, with my husband's, maybe I have five thousand, maybe I have five thousand. I'm not sure. And she said, well, you need a hundred thousand. And it was like. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was another crisis event. But um, she was a publisher or a publicist. She, she was a literary agent, and um, yeah, and and I think it's a I to be um, charitable because it really <laughs> threw me for a loop. I really do think that she was trying to. It was tough love. Like this is the world you're in. You're trying to enter it. These are yeah. the rules. Uh, and so, yeah. And so what I did was I did take, I, I was in a writing workshop for the entire time, which I loved. And I took a break from the writing of the book and focused on building the sudden caregiver.com and trying to think about if I put a community together, what that would look like. 
um, and and to start writing blog posts, which I did. And then I got to a place where it's like, I'm not writing the book. And I work full time <laughs> doing other things. So I I felt like I thanked that agent, you know, sent her love into the universe and um, went back to finishing my book. Wow. I, I can't believe how quickly the time has flown. We have about five minutes wow. left. So I'm going to let you decide what else you want to share with us that we haven't discussed yet. Hmm. Uh, well, what comes to mind is a little bit about me that I didn't mention is, and I think it's one of the most important things about me, is I'm a mom. I have a daughter and a son-in-law who live in San Diego. They have, this is the best part, um, Oliver, who's three. And <laughs> You're Lucas, a who's, Lucas, who's one year old. And I have had the absolute joy of, I mean, one of the, this story is actually in my book because it's that, Adrian, it's that turning point where you realize you can join the world again. Mm-hmm. When my, uh, I was at a funeral for, for my brother-in-law, my late brother-in-law, and my daughter texted me and said, I think I'm having the baby early. And she's in <laughs> California and I'm in Philadelphia at a funeral. And so I like whip around, literally leave the celebration of the end of my brother-in-law's life to Mm -hmm. go and greet the entrance to the world of my grandson. And so I flew across the country, all that staying up all night, all that, get to the hospital, the birthing room, and they're exhausted, but they're so exuberant. And here's Oliver, he's this big, and he's, (sighs) and they hand me his hot little body, and I'm holding it here, and it was just like whoosh. the joy, like the grief just went away, and the joy entered, which I think is what allowed me to be open to all the other things in my life that have just been amazing. So my yeah, work. I, in- I just got one of those uh, great granddaughter the other day. <laughs> Congratulations! Wow. You. So your kids were very supportive of this new relationship. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't they, say, they gave a reading. Mom, all be careful. Are you sure you know what you're doing or anything like that? My no, my daughter really is. I was a single mom. I raised her for until I married Joel. I raised her. I didn't marry him until she graduated from high school. So um, we're really close, and she, she wants nothing but my happiness. And how it if be. I have John, <laughs> John Schuler. She doesn't have to be my caregiver. She's got someone someone built in right now. So, no, she's just, we're very close, and she just wants only the best for me, and they all love John, so good. And you're both in good health? Oh, yeah. And isn't it true? Health is everything. Yep. It is. Everything. It is, even if you live in Santa Monica. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, how can someone get a hold of you, get get a hold of the book, uh, or just pick your brain for some questions or oh, yeah. anything like that? So I have a website, the sudden, thesuddencaregiver.com. Uh, my, my email address is on there, but it's kws at thesuddencaregiver.com. Aaron Warner Schuler, kws. And... Uh, on the book goes on sale on Amazon on February 16th, which is the week of National Caregivers Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the Kindle version 
on the 16th and I and I priced it at 99 cents for the first um, day because of the algorithms, right? That sure. yep. Amazon wants. So, so you're a best-selling so, author now. If you <laughs> want to get there. Did, did yeah. you read your book? Did I read my book? Oh, oh, for Audible. You didn't do Audible. You did Kindle. Oh, no, I didn't. But good idea. Good suggestion. Yeah. It's yes, Kindle. That's still on my list. <laughs> yeah. It's Kindle and then it's uh, paperback. Yeah. But so, Audible um, coming soon. I just remembered also, we started late, so I could probably ask you one more question. But go ahead with your what you were going to say. Oh, I was going to say I'm also creating a series of online classes. So I'm teaching a oh, class here at you. the university at University of South Carolina, Buford, mm -hmm. um, on caregiving, how to navigate your caregiving journey with grace and grit. And what I have in mind is creating short modules that uh, for well-being that caregivers can do, like. 20 minutes a day tops. What would you, you know, how to build on that? So it's an online course? It will be on demand. Like the, yeah. I see. Yeah. That's good. How did you arrange that? How did you get that to happen? It hasn't quite happened yet, but I took a class and, mm -hmm. you know, when the, the ad comes through on Facebook and it matches the idea I have. And so I, I joined a group that is all supporting each other and creating. Mm -hmm. Uh, on-demand classes. So, um, go ahead. You know, as an executive coach, I create, I create experiences all the time for people. So mm -hmm. it's just trying to do it with Zoom and blue jeans and whatever, whatever I have available. Be were you coaching it. before you were a caregiver? Oh yeah, yeah. I've what, had my. What, what aspect of people's lives do you coach? Um, leadership development, so executive coaching inside corporations. So clients would say, I've got 30 people, they're high potential, we need them to become better leaders, get to the mm -hmm. next level. And um, I design a lot of classes around that. I've been doing that since 2002. I was a VP of marketing before, nine, on 9-11 I decided to oh. quit my job and become a coach, ah. literally, and I did. So. Good for you. And your husband, what does he do now? He is a consultant and he is working with companies that are involved in, he spent 30 years at Abbott Labs in Chicago doing oh, clinical so. diagnostic work. So he's now um, a go-to person for things happening around COVID that I wish I understood better, but testing <laughs> and vaccination. <laughs> Okay, well, in the last couple of minutes, uh, what is the most surprising thing that you have come across in caregiving? Ooh, Either your own experiences or others. That's a great question. I would tell mm -hmm. you the most surprising thing is this idea that caregiving is both, it's a paradox. It is both difficult, exhausting, uh, depleting, and at the same time, it is those things at the same time, a source of well-being, that people are finding those moments of joy, the, the moments of meaning and purpose and engagement. Yeah. It all has to do with attitude, doesn't it? An attitude of gratitude. You can mm -hmm. see good things in caregiving or you can make it miserable. I do think so, you have to purposefully, you have to have intention around that. 
It's not just going to happen over the course of the day. You have to intend to accept the good, to do things that will help and not harm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad that you reached out. Uh, I think that's how we contacted you. Contacted my uh, page on the website, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yes. Yes. So, and well, uh, thank you. It's just been amazing talking to you and and hearing your story and oh, likewise, Adrian, your story. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been fun. All right. Good way to spend an hour. <laughs> yeah, it was that was a nice way to spend an hour. <laughs> so until next time, everybody, we will see you. Bye bye. Bye. Our featured speaker is a best-selling author who has written numerous books and articles. He's a speaker, life coach, and host of Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver radio program. He frequently appears on television and radio shows all across the country and has even shared the stage with Suzanne Summers at Harvard. But his most important role is caregiver to his beautiful wife, Charlene, for over 22 years. Please welcome Mr. Dave Nassani! I want to share with you a love story. In a couple of weeks, my wife and I will be celebrating 44 years of being together. My wife, Charlene, and I had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage for the first 21 years of our lives together. One day out of nowhere, my wife has a headache, the headache of her life. She suffered a massive stroke, and it left her severely speech impaired and paralyzed on the right side. And in that moment, our world turned upside down. I gotta tell you, the next two years was like a living hell. I just didn't know what to do. I felt guilty most of the time. I became a caregiver. I didn't even know what a caregiver was. I was experiencing the same problems that other caregivers experience. If you don't take care of you, I can't take care of her. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Now I can teach other caregivers. I'm living proof that you can thrive as a caregiver. My wife and I travel now all over the world sharing our story. One day, life is gonna call upon you to be the captain of your boat. Heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 